Welcome to the Alex and Mo podcast. If you have not yet subscribed to our YouTube channel, liked us on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, please take a moment to do so now. And don't forget to subscribe to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So tonight promises to be a great podcast. I'm so excited. I hope you can see the excitement on my face because <laughs> we have Doc J in the house joining Alex and I. Hello. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. I know you're very busy. Um, we were just chatting a little bit right before we got started. And, and obviously this is uh, a beginning of a busy time for you. And, you know, as most people start to have kids going back to school, college and all that good stuff, obviously things start to ramp up. So definitely thank you very much for, for making some time for us. We truly appreciate it. No problem. Um, and, and let's let's go. Let's go. I mean, let's get it started. Time, time, I is, mean, valu time is valuable. I, um, I know. I consider Alex and I OGs in physical therapy now because we've been in practice for about 14 years now. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. We, we, we're getting old. You you are a, a young PT. You're like, what, two or three years old? Five years out. Well, Five three, years no, old. No, I'm more. 2015 is when I graduated, so I'm seven. Seven? Well, I mean, that's that's still awesome. Um, and I have tremendous admiration for you seeing that, you know, you left the corporate PT mm -hmm. field, and we'll talk about that, and you started your own practice mm -hmm. the way you wanted to practice, mm -hmm. and you're thriving. People are like, damn, she, she's doing the damn thing. We need to find out from her. And you're coaching yes. volleyball, the sport yes. that you love. Sport I, I love. And you know I'm a hardcore HBCU fanatic. I meant to wear my Howard hat, the real HU. We're not gonna well, I would have been mad because I'm from Hampton, so don't wear no real HU stuff. <laughs> we're, we're not gonna talk about that other HU down on the water in the back of Virginia, okay? Let's talk about the Mecca. But you know, you're coaching as well. Um, you're coach at Morehouse now. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I'm loving what I'm seeing from you, and I'm truly proud of you. And I'm going to give you your flowers tonight. You know, oh, you're, you're doing you. the damn thing. So keep doing it. Keep making waves. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, again, it feels, you obviously said you've been doing it for seven years out from you graduating. Mm -hmm. um, I know, you know, I came across you as I think Mo and, and many others uh, through Twitter, um, mm -hmm. which is how Mo and I uh first linked up and and then had the opportunity to meet at a CSM. But, you know, from, from your interactions on Twitter, you've always been a go-getter. Um, and, and that is something that stands out. It's something that we have talked about on our many different episodes where the go-getters are the difference makers. The go-getters are the people that are going to push our profession to that next level. I like to call our profession Currently, we sit at the kiddie table. You know, when the holidays come around, you got the family, you got the grown-ups to sit at the table, enjoy the meal, have the nice glasses of wine and, and whatnot. And then you got the kids eating the chicken nuggets on the side. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where we are, I feel, as a profession. I think physical therapy as a profession sits at the kiddie table. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and we've all had stories, interactions. We see stories, interactions. 
of how that flourishes, the respect we we feel like we should get, but we don't get, um, you know, amongst ourselves, mm-hmm. let alone uh, in other medical professions and, you know, orthopedics, surgeons, med- just medicine as a whole. Um, and that was kind of your driving force to where you said, hey, I'm going to pivot. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to do it my way. Mm-hmm. Tell us about how that came to be um, and and what steps you took to, to start your practice? Um, so I kept getting fired. Um, written up, you know, just micromanaged for things that I felt did not affect the quality of care or the healing process for the patient, whether it be um, my yoga pants, except for business pants, or I'm trying to get a patient, see a patient more that needs physical therapy and you're telling me to cut them, or I'm seeing a patient that is BSing and I don't need them on my schedule. And I'm telling you that nothing's wrong with this patient, but I'm being forced to keep these numbers or keep this quota up. And I'm the daughter of an occupational therapist. And my mom is a rehab director of a nursing home. She's been that for like 30 years. That's all I remember my mom doing. And, you know, one of my first clinical was with my mom and my mom was like, no one's going to hire you because the things that you're not willing to do for me, that's how it is. And growing up in PT clinics and occupational therapy clinics, I never understood. I saw like the healing process and that's why I fell in love with physical therapy. It honestly wasn't until I graduated and started or doing my clinicals and working that I was like, oh, this is trash. Like, (laughs) this is not what I thought it was. I thought I could just like make people better, send them out in the world. They can come back if they need me again. And I had no control over how I treated, who I was able to treat, or how many people I treated. And for me, that took the joy out of practicing. So when you asked me at the beginning of the podcast, like, oh, you've been out for like two or three years? Probably because I quit being a physical therapist in 2016 when I just graduated May of 2015. And I went and became a volleyball coach for a local club in Tampa. Oh, okay. You was in the hood. Yes. As a private volleyball coach, I was because I played college and pro, parents were paying $75 to $150 a session. Wow. And I was looking at my paychecks and I'm like, oh, I just have to do four lessons a day and I can make double of my PT salary. So I did. And my mom hated me for it. And I was happy. I was amongst people that respected me. Mm-hmm. I was able to train how I wanted to train. And then when girls were showing weaknesses or they were getting injured, I was like, oh, let me put my PT hat on and provide you some counseling. Or, you know, in volleyball really became my environment to practice. And so it was at that moment in Tampa, I was like working for some ortho part-time, not really liking it, um, but loving volleyball at night. 
And I was just like, why do I love doing PT here, but I don't like doing PT over here? And it's not that I didn't like physical therapy or I didn't want to become or be this physical therapist that I worked so hard to be. It was that the corporate system took away my love for a profession that I loved and I was good at, like fucking good at. And it's just like, I can't believe that we're just in this abyss where no one is happy and we're just like fake, like, oh, I do it for the patients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we can live such a better life. And so I was in Atlanta working for Ortho Atlanta. So I moved from Tampa to Atlanta because I wanted to be amongst my people. And Atlanta was popping at the time. So we picked up, me and my boyfriend left Tampa. We moved to Atlanta. And the first thing I was going to do was find volleyball. And wherever I found volleyball, I was then going to find physical therapy. And I came to Atlanta learning from what I learned in the past that I had to create my own environment to treat. And that clearly had to be my own place. But I had horrible credit, Mm -hmm. no money, barely a savings. And I'm like looking at all these big box PT people, not big box, but um, you know, the people that trend on Instagram and Twitter, like want to cash practice, all this stuff. Yeah. Their overhead was so exuberant. It was so much. You're like 10,000, 20,000. And I'm like, I've never even seen money like that. Like you're talking about you're getting it from your grandparents or y'all credit is good and you can take out loans. And I didn't have that. So what you guys saw manifest on Twitter was literally a poor girl from Chicago trying to figure out how to create her own with little to no money. And I and that's what I did. Blood, sweat and tears. Figured it out, got stuff from Craigslist, got a storage unit, slowly saved, um, like bought things as I got money. And with volleyball, I kept treating. I would treat for free. Then I created my own like monthly treatment plan in the volleyball gyms. And next thing I know, I was making 800 a night treating volleyball girls. And I just saved that money and became my own bank. Man, I, I, I just love the story because a lot of us just think because we don't have what people see on social media, we can't mm-hmm. start something. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I honestly would not advise somebody to just quit and start a business. Um, right. Because I didn't, have, I didn't have savings. I didn't have student loans like people did because my tuition was paid for, right. thankfully, to Howard University. Um, and I was able to graduate without being in in debt. Mm -hmm. Um, and I got a good salary when I first started. So I was blessed because of that, but I too got fed up of the corporate PT stuff and I quit with no plan. Mm. Um, but (laughs) it forced me to create a model that I'm now loving and living off of and i'm in a a place where i can employ other people to do the same and be a mentor to other people to do the same so your story is encouraging people don't have to have things perfect before they start correct let's have to believe in their abilities and you trust Mm -hmm. your ability and you know what you wanted so i applaud you for that 
Thank you. And that's the key thing. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. So like you said, you can't just quit your job, right? And go into your own. So while I'm working at this volleyball gym, I'm working in big box PT from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. And then going into a volleyball gym from 5 p.m. to about midnight. You hustle. You have to. When you That's go to you did the grind. And you know, Josh said that too when he did the Lux Factory. So mm -hmm. he still worked with someone, but he had a side hustle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a lot of people that, and I honestly stopped consulting because I get frustrated. And if anybody who I've consulted is watching this, like, I apologize, but I don't. But it's like so many people want to be a clinic owner, but they don't really want to be a clinic owner. Like, they're just like, what do you mean you work for free? Like, they don't, don't want to put in the work. They just want to, like, it takes. It's just going to pop up. I smile. I smile at people who think that we are in the positions that we are in just because I was working 12, 14, 16 yes. hour days. Like today yes. was one of those days. Yes. I'm, I'm in the field seeing patients, still doing administrative stuff and answering calls to grow the business. So it takes a lot of work. No, absolutely. Everybody, everybody wants the the end result, but they don't want to put in the work. None of it. Right? You know, yeah, when you tell them about the work, they look at you like, really? And and, and that's that you know, like that that social media mentality, right? Like everybody sees this. You know, you go on Instagram, you're like, oh man, everybody, you know, on vacation and and doing this, but they don't see what happens behind the curtains, what you're doing every day, every night. The, the things that you, you know, and I get it from my wife as well. She's like, man, you, 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 you're, you're spreading yourself too thin. You got a lot on your plate. I hate when people say that, but, but she gets it. But at the same time, she understands it. Right. right. Because she knows that doing the work is how we get to do everything else. Mm -hmm. yes. Right. So uh, you have to, you have to grind. You have to grind. You have to, you have to, because if you don't get it, there, you, you either grind for your dream or you're going to grind for somebody else's, else's check. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and, and you know, like Mo had her experience, you've had your experience. Like I was working at the university of South Florida. I was a faculty member and I loved that job. And it just got to the point where I was like, man, I know what I'm bringing in. I know what I generate and, and what I generate to what I'm making we're not even on the same ballpark. At all. And, and as a staff PT, I understood. I'm like, I'm not here to, to get rich. That's not the position that I'm in. But I'm also not here just to get you rich. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's like you either you either got to, the, the pie has got to get cut up a little bit different or, or we just going to have to make a move. And that's what I did. Um, you know, and I started doing home health. And home health was kind of forced upon me. And I'm very lucky and blessed and thankful that, you know, the Lord always has greater plans than anything that we can come <laughs> up with. Right. right. You try to tell him something. He just sits there and laughs at you because he's like, I know. Like, that's not even. Like, don't, don't even try me. Let it go. Let me do me. Right. <laughs> so, but things happen. You still have to do the work. Right. Right. You know, right. I was reading, was reading something on Twitter today. Um, but Nick had a thread, Mo, about the job know, opening at his job. Yeah, the job Nick opening. Hops, Nick Hopes. Hops. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, he's off in 
you know, Ohio. He's in Ohio. He's somewhere in Ohio, which probably most North people. North of Cleveland, yeah. Yeah, which it's, most it's, people other than rural, they yeah. enjoy, <laughs> although it looks real nice on pictures. But he's <laughs> like, you know, like we're trying to offer seventy five k. We can't get benefits. With, we yeah. create benefits. Yeah, so it's just like you you either you, you can't have it all. Right. You got to put in the work, or you got to go different places, different environments that you may not necessarily want to be to get what you yes. want. Different everybody, every, everybody now is just like, well, dang, I just finished PT. I'm a DPT. Where's the money at? Right? No. Like who, who's just throwing it? Who's throwing the money out? And it's like, that's not even real world. That's not. Like, you know, if you came into this profession thinking you was just going to get a doctorate and somebody's going to start cutting you six figure checks a year, like that ain't gonna happen. Like this is not the place for you. Mm-mm. You know, so it, it's 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 a true testament to what you've done, and and how you've done it. Because mm-hmm. again, you, by your own account, like you quit PT, you said, "Look, this ain't for me right now. I, I'm not I'm not in the environment that I want to be." Mm-hmm. But then you you re you redid yourself. You said, "Hey, let me let me change this." Let me look at it from a different perspective. Yeah. Let me do it this way. Mm-hmm. Right. So you mentioned volleyball is, is a, a huge part of who you are before PT. Correct. Right. Tell us about that. Like how does <laughs> how does that start? Because it obviously from from what you're doing today, it shaped who you are, it shaped who you are now, it shaped how you practice. So it's a very key component, which I feel like most people don't realize that it's something that you can pick up on. Something most people would not think like, I played volleyball, I coached it, played it at a high level. Let me leverage this into a thriving PT practice. Mm-hmm. Right. So tell yeah. us more about volleyball, like how that became a part of your life and how that helped you get to where you are now. Right. So um, I was a very good basketball player, mm-hmm. power forward, Dennis Rodman, Ben oh, Wallace. Okay. I was right. crazy. <laughs> Rebounder. If there was somebody getting technicals, it was me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, um, but I also like hated running. I hated my knees hurting and all that stuff. So I always played volleyball growing up because it was like the warm-up sport before mm-hmm. basketball season. So like just to keep busy i just played it um to a point that our high school basketball coach actually coached us in volleyball and it was like basically the basketball team with like four real volleyball girls and the parents are like who's just using it for them to practice and that's that was my volleyball life in high school um so basically what happened uh i had a high school coach and she was like you know you're great at basketball. And she leveled with me. She was like, but there's a lot of black girls who are also great at basketball. She was like, I play college volleyball. And I think if you just play club, you'll go division one. And I was like, really? Told my parents, my dad hated it. Me and him didn't talk for like 30 days when I decided to play volleyball over basketball. It really hurt his feelings because if you want to play college volleyball, you have to play club. 
and that is the high school basketball season. So I'm a junior in high school, and it's like, if you want to give volleyball this chance, you have to say no to basketball. It's the only way to get recruited. Mm. So I did. I was a standout. I ended up getting a, a full scholarship to IUPUI, played there all four years. Um, being from Chicago, being a basketball girl, going to Indiana, mm -hmm. a volleyball team was different for me. My teammates, I was the only black girl on my team. <laughs> I, I I was for two years. Um, it was for soccer. Um, yeah, it so, was it, it was different. It was very different for me, and um, it was a challenge. But I, you know, just I couldn't afford to not be there. And back then, there was no transfer portal. When I signed my grant and aid, I knew I was worth one hundred and eighty thousand dollars. I knew if I walked away, I didn't know what school I could go to or if they could pay. So it's like college and education has always been at the forefront. So I was like, I'm going to just stick it out and do this. I only bring up the racial disparity because that's where it comes from, Alex. This me becoming a college volleyball coach, women's for Clark Atlanta and coaching men's at Morehouse is literally me getting that back, me getting that college experience back and being able to create an environment that for players that look like me, come from cities like I do, to have a leader in their college for years because I would have loved a me as a coach, someone that is, you know, educated, played the sport well, young and as my volleyball physical therapy practice grew, people were like, oh my God, she's like a really good coach. You should probably go to the next level. And God works in mysterious ways. So I'm in Atlanta, home of the AUC with four black universities right here on campus. And I wasn't the coach at the time, but I hustled and I plotted for my future. So I contacted the coach, became a volunteer. Next thing you know, COVID hit, she's ready to go somewhere else. And I was able to roll myself into this position um, and I'm qualified for it. Next so, man up, next man up. Yeah, next man up. And that's basically uh, how it happened. And because I was treating so many volleyball players, my network, because for every volleyball player, they have a mom and a dad who I fix and then they have friends and I fix them too. Then they tell their friends. And that's basically me coaching at Clark Atlanta and Morehouse has done nothing but expanded my physical therapy practice so that I can now employ others to be at my clinic when I'm not there so that I can do the things that I love and also still provide a clinical environment that a PT can be compensated well, an environment that they can learn and all that good stuff. So that's basically how volleyball has, you know, manifested into what I'm doing right now. So I have, a, I have a question. Go ahead, Mo. Go ahead, Mo. As a coach, um, you're being a mentor to young black men, young black women. Mm -hmm. um, how has that transferred into being a mentor and leader or boss 
in physical therapy because not, you said you're creating an environment to employ other physical therapists, mm-hmm. but because of your experience as a only black student athlete on your volleyball team mm-hmm. and your experience of being fired from numerous corporate PT wars because you didn't fit in, mm-hmm. um, how would you say that helps you to be a, a better boss, a, a better coach, um, to create a culture that millennials would love or even older PTs like ourselves mm-hmm. want to work in an environment where they feel valued and appreciated. Right. And they could be mentored. Um, mm-hmm. How does that, how does, how does the balance correlate with being coaching and being, right. being a boss? Um, it's honestly the same exact thing. It's just a different playing field. Um, authenticity, being truly authentic in my authentic self, a hundred percent of the time, is why my coaching is successful and my clinic is successful. I'm authentic with my patients, the students that come in and train with me. I teach them about authenticity. That means if a patient is BSing, tell that patient you know that they're BSing. There's no political correctness in communicating with a human being. Um, If there's a patient that is hurting, be authentic. You can cry with them. If you need a session where, you know, we're not really doing Therex, we're just kind of navigating what's going on up here, let's do that. And those are different things that you're not afforded in the corporate PT world or anywhere else that they'll do a clinical. And it kind of, from this, I've had three so far and two of the three have cried. Like at the end of the day, they're just like, why can't it be like this? I don't want to go anywhere else. And I know I can't do this anywhere else. Like why is this the only experience like this? And when I get responses like that, it just empowers me to continue to be authentic, be honest, and just be a human. Like we're human before we're PT, we're human before we bill insurance. And it's just like somewhere along the lines, people get lost in the formalities of things and professionalism that we actually lose a node of humanity. And that's honestly just what I, what I stick to. And I do that in both aspects as a coach and as a clinician and as a boss. So you still have your clinics up and running. Mm-hmm. How many clinics uh, do you have? Two years, two year anniversary, right? I think I saw that recently. Two year anniversary for my Union City Clinic. Mm-hmm. Congrats. So how many Congrats. clinics do you have now? It's three. And yeah. two of them are ran. So I have a doctor I work with, Dr. Murray, and he's a pain doctor. So basically, Dr. Murray, more or less, has purchased my model. And... I basically get a percentage of my practice and everything is ran because a lot of, and that's what I try. I used to say on podcast is 
doctors want us. Like doctors don't want to send their patients to big box PT. If they can understand and fathom the billing, how it works, the authorization, because I'll tell you, we had some bumpy times when we first merged because even his billers didn't understand physical therapy because it's just not, it's something in their scope of practice that they don't really get. And what's crazy about it is a lot of the reimbursements from insurance are higher with him than with me. Oh yeah, I, I, I observed that because I worked for a physician-owned physical therapy clinic, even though mm -hmm. in school they told us not to. But right. that's where I was gonna get the most money. And that's mm -hmm. the only place that was gonna sponsor me as a international well, student visa mm -hmm. to, um, to get in my green card. So I took that opportunity. I learned a lot. Um, so they are reimbursed more than a PT owned clinic, right. uh, same with a hospital outpatient clinic. So that's something that I realized as well in, in, in business. Um, it's unfortunate, but it's, it's our reality. And which makes me think there is room for collaboration. There is. And a lot of us are failing to do that because yeah. they want to, they want to know about PT. And I think now with bundle payment, it's going to force more of us to think. It is. It is. It is. And um, yeah, and that's just the framework of collaboration with other clinicians and other scopes of practice will be the downfall of corporate medicine as we know it. Because if you take, and like you were saying, Alex, like, when you were working, you're like, there's not enough money. Like you hit a ceiling, you know, your piece of the pie was so small and you needed more. But your experience is every PT's experience that works in corporate. And so after, you know, running my business for two years, I understand why they don't pay us. They can't afford it. You have equipment on loans, high rental units in these fancy places. You have exuberant amount of unnecessary administration then you have the executive board that has to get their money and the only payers you have are insurance yep so yep. there's literally no room and so the future of physical therapy as i see it we need 15 doc j's in atlanta we need 15 of these type practices in every city and there's enough people, our population is vast enough for every private practice owner who earns six figures or more and not kill themselves every day. That's, that's, that's very true. But to do that, we have to do the groundwork, which requires a lot of hustling and grinding. And our a lot of people don't want to do that. Or wait, don't want to. Now let's talk about those who feel like they want to, but they have horrible personalities. <laughs> How are you an asshole? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> How are you like, I don't care that you have all these certificates. I don't even want to get Starbucks with you, bro. How am I going to get you patients? Because I don't even like how you, like, I don't even, I'm not vibing with you. And that's something that I've, I've realized. And whenever I do consulting, I'm like, 
you got to figure out who you are and if you're a people person, because we are in the people loving field. We touch, we have to interact, we have to communicate with, we have to empathize, we have to care, we have to have excitement. We're healers. And that's just a part of our profession that we don't have. So we're basically slaves to corporate because we don't have it within us to be independent. Well, I'm, I'm going to just interject here, okay? Um, as somebody who interviews and recruits therapists, mm -hmm. I would rather hire someone because they have exceptional soft skills and then train them with the hard skills. Because a lot of us feel so entitled that we have a oh, doctorate or we went to this program, or we did a clinical rotation at this hospital or that clinic. And we feel that people are supposed to bow down and worship us because I have, uh, mm -hmm. you know, OCS or, or yep. this and all that stuff. Alex, no, not you. <laughs> okay. But um, like when you come with that attitude, mm -hmm. interview, I'm like, okay, you, you don't fit into our culture because if a patient is struggling and they come to you, you don't have the patience to sit and listen to them and get them to the goal because you're in a hurry because it's supposed to be like, hey, this is what I learned. This is what I'm trained to you. You should be good in one session or two sessions and you get frustrated. Yeah. And yeah. that doesn't encourage people to come back. Not at all. Yeah. Not so everything that we do is literally a vibe check. Right. Yep. Like we when we when we meet a patient for the first time and Mo, you know, we do home health. We walk into somebody's house. They see even more of a vibe check because now yeah. we're stepping into yeah. their environment. Right? I scan everything from the outside before and I go in so that I could find one thing to connect. Yeah, with like you you got to find a way to make make that connection, yeah. you know, and, and for me, it's usually sports. So if, if I can get with something on sports, whether we're on the same side or I'm giving you shit because you like some other team, like, you know, it gives us that chance to vibe together. And then from there, we can grow. Yeah, right? But yeah. there's people there's people that struggle. When I was a faculty member at USF, man, we had some students. We can we'd, we'd have, you know, they come in and I'd get to talking to them and I'd be like, look, we need to work on this, like bump range of motion bump how to use a goniometer all that stuff like we got to get you to talk like a person like mm -hmm. you're too, too robotic you're too too just very like stoic just nothing there people are not going to vibe with that you know mm -hmm. and and the students that tended to struggle were those kinds and and it wasn't because they struggled in the classroom so right. they struggled when they got out to clinicals. Mm -hmm. Right. You're the ones who passed passed the boards. Oh yeah, they passed. Ninety-five percent child, baby. The good vibes and the great personality are the ones who struggle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So and, and so along those lines of of good vibes, something mm -hmm. that you uh, did and and you know broadcasted through your Twitter and uh, that always stood out with me was you made sure that there was an opportunity for everybody that walked through your door to have access to your care, mm -hmm. regardless of what their socioeconomic status was. Correct. Right? 
And that's something that in the PT Twitter world we see today. Like, you know, we have some people that are very on your wavelength, like, hey, everybody needs access, right? We are here to help the community. You help the community, your practice is organically going to grow. Correct. Right? Without you having to do anything extra, mm-hmm. if, you, if you meet the needs of your community, then you're going to grow. Word yeah. of mouth is going to grow, right? But then we have those people that'll say, no, we we can't take Medicaid or we can't do this because we don't get paid, right? Oh, for, you, yeah. for you in your very consistent manners, you found a way, like you thought outside the box. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, and that I think is, is, is very big in our, in our profession. And I think that more people should start doing that and they'll start to see that growth. Tell me about how you develop that idea that said, Hey, at Doc J's, I don't care who you are when you walk through that door, I'm going to find a way to get it done for you. Even if it means I'm not maybe making that much on your visit, right. but I know that your visit is going to multiply into more visits between you, your friends, your neighbors, everybody else. Right. Um, I One of the write-ups that I got in corporate PT is because I got emotional when a post-operative man was being refused care basically couldn't get past the front desk a post-operative man total knee replacement that the surgeon did and i'm at a pop i'm at a physician owned practice the surgeon's practice you cut this man and now you're denying him physical therapy because he can't make a 50 dollars copay and he's blue cross blue shield so i know good and well you're gonna get 328 for that eval and you're going to get 236 for every treatment he's here. And you're going to make him pay this $50 for a surgery that you did. Well, if he can't do it, we'll just do an MUA. I'm sorry. You're going to do another operation on him because you're not providing him care. And then you're not going to give him care then because his social economic status is not going to change. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, um, those in the people that were being refused care because they couldn't pay, they look like me. They were my aunts. They were my grandparents. They are my mom, my dad. And that's emotional. That is literally psychological abuse working somewhere that turns away people that look like you because they can't pay. And you have to fill your schedule with people that do have. And it's just like, oh, Nikes, like poor people don't get care, but I'm a poor person and I became this so that I can help the poor people. And it was really at that moment that I knew when I had my own practice, I would never ever have that feeling again, no matter matter what, because I just believe in humanity before I believe in profit. you know, God says, be faithful, not foolish, right? So if you're, say you're making 85K at a job, after taxes, your take home is like 200, 250. If I charge, and I started my practice charging $30 a session and people were having a bit about it. They're like, $30? Da, da, da. 
Well, if I can get 10 people to pay me $30, I made $50 more than I would make working for you guys. So what's a pro bono patient if I'm, you know, working with motor vehicles, working with workers comp, getting guaranteed contract payments that are more than 500 a day? Why can't I fill the rest of my schedule with those that can't afford care? Because I signed up, I studied, I became this so that I could help those, the most vulnerable of populations. And that's, it wasn't even about marketing for me. It was literally trauma from not having access to good care, from seeing my family members hobble around, get cortisone injection after cortisone injection after mother trucking cortisone injection and still not being able to walk. It was me going back home while I was still a PT student holding seminars at the church for people who couldn't get access to information or care. And it's just, it, it's its honestly, America should be ashamed. Like our healthcare system is a travesty and it's because we're so corporatized. And so when I drop on Twitter, like how much I'm making and all this stuff, it's so people can wake up and say, oh snap, she makes 18 grand a month and she still sees people for free. You can do it. You don't just have to see two pro bono patients a month. Like if you do your business right and you have a philanthropic billionaire mindset, your quotas that we have for corporate, those go away and you start thinking about what you need to survive and live the life you wanna live. And then once you hit that, stop. Because the rest is greed at that point. And you're eliminating access to true care for people who need it most. And that's just my principle and sticking to it, sticking to it. I'm, I'm sort of careful because uh, there's certain people that would, you know, reach out and ask questions about stuff and I would show them numbers and they would be amazed that, wow, that's, that's what you're bringing in. Um, but I have been sort of careful, maybe because it's, it's the Caribbean mindset that I have, because, you know, people say, oh, you're showing off, showing Mm -hmm. like numbers on so I'm, I'm sort of careful of doing that and my grandparents were very superstitious so they would be like don't don't, don't show people this because mm -hmm. it could invite jealousy it could invite greed and bad mm -hmm. energy and uh they don't want that i think my dad used to try to tell me in a way that don't be afraid to to show what you're doing Mm -hmm. but he was very mindful that I was sort of green or naive with certain things. Mm -hmm. I didn't have his, his street smarts or common sense. Right. Um, Cause he always used to joke and say book sense and common sense is not the same. Another thing. thing. <laughs> so, um, so I've been sort of cautious about it, but I am glad that you are showing it because it's showing people that it is possible. Yeah. And I want to get to the point where I can show people that it's possible to make this, but sometimes you show people that and they say, well, you didn't graduate with student loans. You didn't do this. You didn't have that. Mm -hmm. So you had an advantage. And it's true. A lot of us are in certain positions who have an advantage. Mm -hmm. I didn't have parents investing 
who could invest in my business. Right. I started this on my own. I had to find stuff out. But there are other people who have family members who invested and they have a head start. Mm-hmm. And they could say, well, I can give you the blueprint for, for this and that. But we do need people like you, people like myself and people like Alex and others to show that it's possible to start right. off at ground zero. Mm-hmm. It is. And that, and that's, you know, just like your parents, my mom was like, Ashley, can you just stop doing that? Like people don't need to. And I'm just like, but mom, we live in this culture where you have to see it to believe it. Exactly. No cap, no cap. Yeah. You have, like, and, and I said, mom, if, if it has to be anybody, why not me? Because I don't give a damn at the end of the day. Like, I, I just feel like there's, I've been in therapy. I feel like I'm 34. I feel like I've been in therapy for at least 20 years because of my mom. I've always been in clinics. So it's like my mom, I make more than my mom. Let's, my mom is a rehab director. She's been one for 30 years. She hit her ceiling eight years ago. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And she's a great worker, all that stuff. But I'm, it works. And even my mom has now been like, I wonder if I should do my own thing, like retire and do my own. And I'm like, oh, Sister Pat, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, she's been a therapist for this long and her friends have owned practices because I worked in them. I was the tech for many private practice PTs that like worked for my mom and then they left and did their own thing. But that entire time, all that was happening. Never once did my mom look and say, huh, I should probably open my own practice too because there, she didn't have a blueprint. She didn't understand. My mom didn't have parents or people to pour in, in entrepreneurship into her for healthcare. Um, and in order for us to change the state of physical therapy, like I said, private practices have to grow. We have to increase the amount of private practices because if we don't, we're going to keep fighting these 3.5% Medicare cuts, which really don't mess with your paycheck if you're a private practice owner, but it does mess up corporate PT because you have so many people to pay. So instead of us going to Washington and fighting for Medicare cuts, how about we march to the APTA and fight for better education in CAPTI, in in these programs? Why aren't we learning how to develop our own realistic clinics? I did it at Hampton, but do you know, I look back at the clinic we made at Hampton, do you know how much we needed to start? 150,000. And when we did it, we were like, oh, all we have to do is ask a bank for a loan. Like, what? (laughs) <laughs> you know banks but okay and, and that's the thing with business too right because you said you you started off with poor credit you mm-hmm. didn't have savings and stuff out it's such a struggle as a business owner to get financing and a lot of people don't understand that and i they always don't. tell people you don't have to start big start small and grow mm-hmm. uh but you have to put yourself in a position to establish good business history to get good business credit. You so do. you can get that, that funding. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And those are things from our experiences that we can start sharing with people. And I hope you have the personality to, to do something like that. So I, I hope you do take the charge in doing so as well. Yeah. Yes. Well, and I think the other thing that we have to understand, um, and, and I'm sure you can you can speak to this, is you, you have to be okay with failing. Yes. You have to be okay with failing, mm -hmm. because if you don't fail, you can't learn, and if you're not learning, you can't grow. Yes. Right. And Mo knows my wife and I, my kids. I'm a big Disney fanatic. We go to Disney almost every weekend. And it was funny because we were there this past weekend and we went into uh, a little Walt Disney like history, little short film thing about Walt Disney himself and how he developed things. And the common thing that I came out of that, even my wife was like, man, I didn't realize that was how many times he failed, mm -hmm. but he didn't stop. Mm -hmm. Right. He said, yeah, I failed at this. Hey, let's go look at something else. Let me pivot. Let me figure out where I can, can go. And, you know, and sometimes we have to put kind of all our chips on the table, so to speak, and say, hey, I'm either going to sink or swim with this one, but yeah. but, but I'm going to bet on me. Right. I'm bet on me to get this done. Like, and, you know, and he goes on to say where, you know, he mortgaged his house, his parents' house. Like, oh, he, he had the whole thing on there. But he felt very passionate about what he was doing and was able to grow it to what it is now, right? But on a much smaller scale, again, like we've got to be comfortable failing. It's not going to be like, hey, I decided to go on my own and I'm just going to just flow. You know, I'm just going to yeah. keep the jump. I'm going to fail. Forward. Keep failing forward. You're going to fail. But hey, I, this didn't work. What can I learn from this? What can I change? How mm. can I move forward? And you keep doing that. You yeah. keep doing that. And eventually you're going to hit it. Eventually right. you're going to hit it. And then everything just kind of falls in place. And then you can look back and see like, damn, it was worth it. Mm -hmm. you know, and all these things that happened. So I think that that's an important part of this whole process is you've right. got to understand like you're going to fail. Right. You're more likely to fail initially than you are to succeed. But right. that doesn't mean you cannot succeed. Mm-hmm. So, so Ashley, um, you are a coach. You are also a boss. So standard is something for you, having good standards. Um, I was reading recently that uh, the female coach of Grambling State <laughs> University volleyball team mm -hmm. got fired because she didn't think the players were up to par and yeah. she decided that their scholarships needed to be rescinded. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> what's your opinion on that? Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> so, um, there's one misconception about college sports that mm -hmm. I tell any recruits or parents that are trying to go to college. Um, like I said earlier in the podcast. I knew I was worth $180,000 over four years to go to school. That's what I signed. It was a four-year deal. It's not like that anymore. When I'm committing players and they're doing their signing and all that, that's for one year. That's one year. 
at any point when it's time to renew scholarships, if the coach feels like you are no longer fit for the program, that, you know, there's that, you know, the program wants to go into a different direction. The coach has every right to rescind or reduce that scholarship. However, documentation is everything. How you go about that process is very important. Like and, and unfortunately, even though she had the right to do what she did, she did not do it properly. It was not documented. It was not done per the standard of Grambling State, most likely, which is why the situation turned out like it did. Um, I will say this. I am utterly disappointed in the players and their parents of the girls that were wronged because they went to social media because they felt wronged. And I totally understand that. But your daughter still needs to be recruited. And as a coach who may have had some of those girls in my email, I wouldn't even give them a chance because I see that that's toxic. So, and a lot of other coaches did, so that it was hard for them to find homes. Um, and in this day and age with social media, how it is, if you're trying to be recruited, if you're a player, you're at the mercy of any university coach to get your school paid for. You need them. They do not need you. And with this one year deal thing, athletes need to step up. I myself released five players, but you didn't see it on the news because these players were documented, late to practice, late to the buzz, grades not good, teachers reporting that things aren't turned in. For every infraction, there was documentation. So when it came time to either renew these scholarships or release the player, and I chose to release, and then the players got in a tizzy, all I had to do was send the AD all the documentation, and there was nothing that they could stand on. So she had the right, was not done properly, consequences occurred. It's unfortunate. You brought up two great points. Documentation, documentation, documentation. That's how we get paid. Mm -hmm. I learned the hard way that you always keep a paper trail. I have a executive member who jokes and said, I will make somebody sign a contract just to borrow a pen. Yes, I would. <laughs> but <laughs> because you know what? I grew up thinking your word is bun. And mm -hmm. I went into so many business situations thinking that people's word is bun and got screwed. Mm -hmm. And that was not enjoyable. Right. So documentation is important. The other thing you brought up was the consequences of social media. Mm -hmm. Social media can be great. Like yeah. I'm using it to have fun, promote my business, 
Shailoff's, you know, lately I've been doing some funny remixes because, you know, life is about, life is about enjoyment. Yeah. So, but I'm not posting grievances that I have with people. Um, and a lot of people <laughs> thinking, especially younger people thinking, putting stuff out there on social media, they're going to gain traction. And it's the average mediocre clinicians, athletes, and stuff who try to get people to react that support. And you have to perform. That's just what it is. For it, us to get paid, we have to produce. Right. Right. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it's very unfortunate. But like you said, it's like the mediocre athletes. And my biggest thing was when it all came out, I just took a look at Grambling State's record. If I was a coach, when you come in, you got to get 500. That means you got to win half your games. And if these girls here have been here and they have a 200 season, 300 season, clearly you need a new crew if you want to keep your job. And so, you know, that, that plays into it. And the the whole social media thing uh really messed up a lot of players because now that i'm in this coaching space i know about every hbcu volleyball coach and a lot of other like pwi volleyball coaches so if you're on social media and you're talking trash about this grambling coach how many coaches you think had that in their text message feed Yeah, you, you just have to be careful. You have um, to be careful. And I and I would have said the response that the players and parents should have had should have been that of, please empathize with my player. Look at how good she is. We don't know what's going on with Grambling, but we just want a home for her. If that was the if that's how it was put together, I'm pretty sure a lot of them would have found homes faster and gotten actual money to go to where they're going. But instead, all of it was negative. And as a coach, we're like, ooh, if they're capable of that, I'm not sure. I want that heat. I don't want nothing to it, do with it. Like, it's the ego. It's the mm -hmm. ego. You know, as with many things, it's it's our ego. Our ego gets the best of us, and we feel some kind of way. We feel like we should have been treated some kind of way. Mm -hmm. And if we we're going to let people know about that. And that, that isn't always, you know, it, you, you got to move in silence uh, is, is my approach, you know, do what you, you got. You do. do. And that's kind of why I've been off of Twitter. Like I've just been so busy and it's like, I want to do social media, but I literally don't have time to do social media. And when I was first building my practice, like I was on there after like doing the floor for a little bit, I would tweet, but now it's just like, I have four phones. Like, I'm here in my Clark office right now doing inventory. I have a 7 a.m. in the morning. Like, I don't have that. I don't even have that time. So, um, yeah. You, you, you start getting it back as, as you start delegating. Yeah. Um, well, and, and it's funny because I, I'll never forget one of your tweets. And, well, actually, there's two tweets. One that I'm going to ask you about in a little bit before we close up. But I'll never forget this tweet. And I'm like, this is when I was like, she's a hustler. She's a hustler because she was at the strip club 
working. She was at the strip club working. <sighs> and I'm like, she own it. You you want to know what's crazy? They have increased their pay rate for me. And I literally just cannot go. And I cannot find a PT who can handle it. Four have tried. They're like, who I want to do it? Who I want to do it? I'm like, yeah, let's go. Oh, this is just a little murky, weird, scary a little bit. You want the money or not? <laughs> and, and at that point, I realized, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll find somebody to throw them in the clubs. And it was just like, no one, they're like, oh, you know, they wanted the money, but they didn't like the experience. And my girls felt that they didn't like the experience because they would text me. I'll be at home getting texts at 3 a.m. They're like, oh, don't bring Shawty back, Doc. Where you at? <laughs> like, you're going to pull up to the clinic. Like, I'm in bed. <laughs> like, I'm not. But it's, and I, it's something, you know, I have, I think I'm actually going to put out a clinical ad to universities because I really want to attract those on their last clinical rotation that want an urban PT experience because um, they'll get a lot out of it. I just had Devin Morris from Ithaca. You probably, you guys know Dev? I think I've seen the, the name. I've seen them on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's from Atlanta, but from Dunwoody, which is North Atlanta. And she was like, I grew up here and this is my first time being on the South side. And she was like, this is very different. Like my patients will walk in twerking because we'll have music on. And the man that comes and sells fake AirPods will come in and everybody's buying the fake AirPods from the man. Like you had the barbershop. Yes, it's a I have a barbershop experience a hundred percent. But the barbershop is the community center of yes. businesses. Yes. She Everybody was like, like she's like, I've never seen people just not leave physical therapy. Like I literally have patients that pay cash, like they'll pay forty dollars to come. And she's like, Well, what do you want to work on? What like what she's like, what's their diagnosis? I was like, ask them how they feel. What do they what do they need today? Treat the patient. Treat the patient. And she's like, that's the first. She's like, you know, I can't typically work outside the diagnosis codes. And I'm like, no, honey, if they walk in, you make them whole again, wherever, just make them whole. And um, I just feel like a lot of third, uh, third year P DPT students, it will, this will be a great experience or my clinic will be a great experience for them if this is the type of experience they want. My problem is making sure my experience is okay for them because just like, you know, me going to Timbuktu, Indiana, I may not be comfortable. I want my students to be comfortable. I want them to feel like this is an environment that they enjoy and want to be in um, because it is something special, I think. Yeah, and, but I think at the same time that sometimes you need to be in uncomfortable situations mm. to really understand who you are, what you value, mm. and, and truly what's going to be the best thing for you. So I would argue that everybody should have that experience, whether it ends up being what they want to do with their career or not, because right. your experience 
shaped you into who you are today. Correct. So yes, it was a negative experience or a hard experience, but it shaped you into who you are today. Mm-hmm. And we don't know that if you don't go to Indiana, maybe you go to a school in Atlanta or somewhere. More, right. But right? I have not. Mm-hmm. And you have those experiences. Well, maybe you aren't where you are today. Maybe you're not coaching today because you're like, hey, I got my coach was like me or or I had people right. around like me. So I didn't have to work for that other stuff. I didn't have to right. look for that. Right. So I, I do feel that your experience is, is good for everybody mm-hmm. um, because it, it doesn't mean that that's where you are. Like, you know, a lot of times people feel like I need to find the perfect job out the gate. I'm like, no, no, no. You take every job is an opportunity for you to be a sponge. You take what you can get from it, what you need from it. The other stuff, I didn't really like that. Okay, now I know for the next one, let me look for something that doesn't have that, right? right it right, shapes right, you right. who you are as an individual. So I, w- I would argue that not everybody needs that experience. Everybody needs to go treat at the club and, and see what's going on to, to kind of go from there. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking we, we need to make a, a, a show. <laughs> oh, you want to do a special edition at Onyx? <laughs> um, but I, 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 one more thing for me. Mm-hmm. We're coming up on just almost two years now. You tweeted something, and it's your pinned tweet. Mm-hmm. And it says, physical therapy is going to make me a millionaire. This tweet will age well. Mm-hmm. How is that going at almost two years now? It's aging well. That's like, awesome. Yeah. And, it's, you know, yeah. I, and I said that tweet because I knew that my path would be bigger than just physical therapy. And I wanted to show people that our profession is you are a physical therapist and. You know what I'm saying? So it's like physical therapy is the engine that is driving this truck to all these other goal pickup spots. And my credential of a physical therapist is opening doors in different environments and allowing me to be monetarily successful in these environments because they're like, oh, she didn't just play college and pro volleyball. She's a PT too, and she got clinics. Let's get her. Then more house calls. Hey, the boys are in the spring. Can you do them for us? Sure. So now you sit at a point where, dang, I'm making the salary that I was making as a PT doing what I love, and I still got my clinics. See? And that's, that, and that's where you want to be. And that, that's where we need to start. It's building clinics, empowering therapists, providing environments for them to work while we continue our entrepreneurial journey and endeavors. And it doesn't have to be physical therapy and coaching. It could be physical therapy and culinary. Open a kitchen. You know physical how- Physical therapy and podcasts. Physical therapy and podcasts. There's so many things that you can do and people that you're going to empower and know. And that and that the second thing you do is going to do nothing but drive that physical therapy up, 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 up. So it never truly leaves us, but it is our foundation to become whatever we want to be. Whatever you want to (laughs) be. You know, aside from checking in with you on that, like I agree with you 
1000%. And, and I tell Mo this all the time um, because that's how I view this podcast. Uh, this podcast is just, in my opinion, step one. Right. It's just step one of what I know that Mo and I can do together. Right. Because for us, at least in my head, and I, like I said, I've told Mo, I tell my wife all the time, I'm like, this is going to take us to places that we probably never thought we were going to be able to do as just PTs. But now we've taken the PT and like you said, mm-hmm. now we're doing the podcast, you know, who knows what comes next, but I know that this is just step one for us. Um, it, it, it is. It, de- it definitely is. And that's why we don't have just PT talk. It's, it's, right. it's all about, life right experiences um and we wanted to create a different type of scenario where clinicians could come and talk about pt and medicine right right ecology and so it's a different space well if y'all really gonna go viral i could talk about the state medicaid medicaid situation basically this is what's going on Mm -hmm. in georgia Mm -hmm. I see Medicaid patients, but I'm not credentialed with Medicaid, so I don't get paid for Medicaid patients. Mm-hmm. When I go to get credentials, you know what they tell me? There's already a surplus of physical therapists that are credentialed for Medicaid. And I'm like, really? So why are they coming to me? Do you know that these big box PTs have their therapists credentialed for Medicaid in the state, but then when you call the front desk, they don't accept Medicaid? Son of a gun. <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that, that's going to have to be uh, episode number two with you. It is. It is. It's, a, it's, it's literally in my, in, I have a credentialer biller person now. Finally, I'm allocating duties. But wow. she was like, this is crazy. And she couldn't believe it herself. So she called like 10 clinics and she was like, none of them accept Medicaid. And I have their MPIs. I was like, and so I can't become credentialed with Medicaid because Georgia thinks we have all these PTs credentialed, but they're all in big box PT locations that don't even let the therapist that is credentialed access to those Medicaid patients. And let's invite Benchmark, Ortho Atlanta, Dreyer, and PT Solutions to the conversation. Join the call. Tell me why. Wow. Because if you're not seeing them, Take them off the credentialing list. That's like, it's a form of water suppression. Like, it's yes, it's redlining care. They're redlining care. They're redlining care. Wow. And so it takes private practice people like me who can't get credentialed because there's already a surplus. We just have to take them as pro bono. So when they call, my receptionist is like, yeah, we accept it. Can't bill for it. Not credentialed. All right, we're going to have to do a, a podcast. No, for this. real. Like, we need to do it and, like, blow it up. Yeah. Um, I, I'm i I'm disappointed. Um, I hope there are other people that would step on this and really do something about it because that's right. that's not right. Um, but, Ashley, thank you so much for being you on the show. You're welcome. Um, we know time is valuable, and we appreciate it. We feel honored that you took the time, a little over an hour, 
to join us and share your thoughts. Uh, happy anniversary to your business. Thank you. And Alexa, I wish you all the success in the world. Um, when you, I know you probably already crossed a million with your clinic earnings, because if I'm doing it with my little home health thing, mm-hmm. I know you're definitely doing it with your outpatient clinic, but I want to see you hold up that, that $1 million check. I'm going to, <laughs> so give thank me, you. Give me three more years. Three thank more. you so much. Thank, yeah. Thank you very right. much. Really appreciate your time. Uh, it was awesome. Um, as with all of our guests, you know, if there's ever anything that we can do to help you in any way, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. We are here to help uh, you grow, everybody grow. You know, we we want to, we can all win. You know, it's a common theme. Of, we can all win. We just got to work together. Um, mm-hmm. So, again, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time. Good luck at your season. Uh, getting those girls ready to, to play and, and win some, some games. Um, to all of our fans, subscribers, thank you very much. Really appreciate you guys. As always, subscribe, like, comment. Uh, everybody have a good evening and be safe out there. Peace. Bye.